You're listening to the Per Service Podcast, episode number 15. The Per Service Podcast is made possible by orchestraexcerpts.com, where the best resource for preparing for auditions is just a click away. To become a sustaining patron of the show, visit perservice.co slash patron to pledge your financial support of the show, and you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Now, here's the show. Welcome back to the Per Service Podcast. This is a show for classical musicians and artists who are making a living doing work that they care about. And we exist as a podcast to be the community that talks about what having a career in the arts is really like. We haven't made it yet, but we're not amateurs either, because there's always room for improvement. And that's what we're actually talking about today, specifically practicing, overcoming the resistance to start practicing, staying focused while we're practicing, and also, oh, what's this, huh, what was, what was, what was I talking about? Oh, oh yeah, staying focused, huh, and why we self-sabotage while we're preparing for auditions. I apologize again, this is that other episode I had mentioned earlier where my settings got messed up and so my computer actually recorded me through my laptop microphone and not through my normal microphone. So my side of the conversation is not quite at the normal quality. So please bear with me for this one last episode. We'll be back to normal and for the next one. And if you're new to the show, our hosts are me, Michael Giblin, uh, Jessica Wiersma, Annalise, and Christian Marshall. And we begin with a little bit of catching up with what we've been up to. Here we go. I didn't really get a chance to catch up in our last one that Anna, you're playing Hamilton's. Yeah, Hamilton is coming up. What? She's actually Regular. a Hamilburger now. That's what they call it. I don't it. think you said I got, I got double ham tomorrow. Yeah, I've got nine hams this week. So if I get overtime, does that mean overtime for the whole week or just, just one show? For the, like the 15 minutes to the Just the one show. Right? No, they don't do that. It's the eight shows a week, and this week there's nine, so that's the... But I mean, how did you? How did that come about? Because I, so I mean, people email me, and they're like, hey, who's the guy that contracts in Nashville for this, or who does that? And I'm sure in New York, it's so much more competitive than even... Oh, well, I spent three years wondering, how can I sub on Broadway? Right. And the answer is, nobody knows. Yeah. You just have to know the people that are doing it. And finally, like, I toured with Mark Morris Dance Group. Um, the first violin of Hamilton was on tour. And yep. he, like, I guess noticed that I wasn't the worst human to be around. Cool. Yep. I partied until 2 a.m. every night. And I was the happiest and most... Yeah. able to get along with well not ha- not too happy because i will say that once in a while i run into a sub that i'm like you need, you a, are pipe. Too you need happy. a pipe you need a pipe down you're trying way too hard <laughs> so i just try to i don't know but actually going into pits though you have to be just like like in your little box and not move anything don't knock anything over it's a different it's just a different world but like yeah. he's i guess he thought i could do that i don't know mm-hmm. so i spent all summer subbing right so monday was a fundraiser that was the extra show and then saturday night i just got an email that a dignitary is coming and there's going to be insane security do you know what i bet it's hillary clinton honestly because they're giving out well she's already been there twice but has she done it because she keeps showing up on my freaking twitter feed and it's we're about to like draw the name of the supporter who gets to go see hamilton with me oh they already did that once i wonder if they'll do it again also last night this was great before the show everyone was cheering like mad in the audience and so everybody scrambled up through the conductor hole they're like oh who's here who's here and someone was being proposed to and they're like (laughs) that is an interesting spot for a proposal at hamilton Hamilton. 
this is like the biggest show ever right now. And then Jess, you're subbing with Indianapolis, like yeah, I'm. Um, you're, you're a big deal. You're playing with some some uh, Harry Potter. Oh my gosh, on. yes, it's Harry Potter week, and guys, it's like 100 pages of like, <laughs> and then like sometimes you have you know, you'll have like a eight measure rest or something, or there's like dialogue, so you know you you aren't playing. Yeah. And the first thing you play is just like a one beat lick of like, and it's just out of nowhere. Yeah. And you have to like, it's just, man. And actually, next time you watch those movies, watch the Quidditch matches and listen to the, to the score. Get, just give everybody a, a high five because it's, there is a lot going on. Jesse, I, I could was, literally talk about Harry Potter for hours, so we should probably move on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's a good point. Practicing. What uh, is practicing? This is very philosophical and could go on for hours. That is true. Unlike practicing, <laughs> which can go on for hours. Just kidding. Uh, yeah. What comes to mind when you think of practicing? Or how would you define it? What for you is practicing? Sitting alone in a room for hours on end with my box of wood. Wow. Nope. <laughs> I'm very confused. Is this what's happening? Try again. I don't like this question. <laughs> what is practicing to you, Jess? I mean, yes, I would say it, it. The first thing that comes to mind is, you know, carving out time to be alone and get out your instrument and then tell yourself everything you're doing wrong. <laughs> Woo! I should say we recorded this episode and then I completely lost it because my hard drive died. And since then, I was thinking more about practicing and I made a little video kind of going through four of the categories of practicing. I, I thought I'd be like, oh, I'm feeling great and feel it like I have more answers about practicing now. But it's still such a complex topic that really even when I think about practicing for an audition, I think I feel differently about putting in that work if the audition is going to be a failure. There, I, I faced a lot of resistance to practicing because at times I think, oh, what if I do all this work and I don't win the audition and I'm just back to, you know, the grind of, you know, going to gigs and stuff. Should I have just used that time to have fun? Mm -hmm. I will say that for me, when I think of what practicing is, I create an idealistic world there's my first problem mm -hmm. in which I'm in like a meditative state with my violin because that's what I desire. When I think of practicing and my whole life, it's been like this. I'm like in a room where I don't have to worry about being distracted by things impossible. And I'm playing slowly and I'm just learning so much music. And, you know, I, I conjure this completely unrealistic scenario about practicing when there's not an audition and then when there is an audition, I don't do it because I'm scared. Right. Did you, cool. is that first imaginative state, is that kind of basing on something that you, how you used to practice? Like, is that how it was when you were in school? Yeah, actually. Um, maybe not in school, but in high school, summer festivals, that type of thing, I could definitely mm -hmm. get to a place where I felt so good about what I was doing in the practice room and thought I was accomplishing so much and really focused, um, which is not afforded in most daily lives. 
Yeah. Because we don't have that kind of time to get into that kind of state, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's, I definitely have that romantic idea of, oh, I'm going to, I've got four hours blocked off and it's just going to, I'm just, I've got all afternoon I'm, I, I can practice. Because that's how, how I used to practice in, in my undergrad. I just, I mean, I was sort of a dork and just stayed in practice rooms from like 6 p.m. till midnight or something. I wasn't, you know, necessarily always practicing six hours necessarily, but, you know, sometimes I'd take a long break and go get a snack or something. I, that's how I really got in the zone of I have this big chunk of time. And mm-hmm. I've read an article that is sort of, there's sort of this like maker's time versus manager's mm-hmm. time. Managers are people that they have those day planners that are every half hour is blocked off and like, Oh, you have a meeting at two and you have a lesson at three and you've got history class at four and I'm going to practice for an hour. And for me, I was never like that. I was, I did, I can't, and I still have a hard time being like, okay, I'm going to practice exactly from two to three. I like having these, Oh, I'm going to practice from, you know, all afternoon. And realistically, I've had to get to a place where I can just say, no, I really have only from two to three. And so I really just need to practice now from two to three and force and stop waiting for this mythical inspiration to arrive where I feel like practicing because you never really feel like practicing. I think there's always some sort of resistance to getting started. Well, this is where I will say it's helpful to be in school. I thought because, for example, I'd have like eight to nine. And then I'd have class from nine to 10, have a break from 10 to 11. And there'd be maybe half an hour, hour practice breaks in undergrad, which I learned at that point I had to make, you know, if you're, if you have like a Paganini Caprice, you've got a movement of a concerto, you have scales. And I would make myself do one of those things per slot. Mm -hmm. And that really helped my brain. And it still does. Although I need to get back to practicing etudes. I decided this week, you guys be proud of me. I'm going to go back to practicing etudes. I've spent a lo- enough time um, out of school cramming for either big solo or chamber music or orchestral pieces at the last minute. And I've decided I need some fundamentals back in my life. Pat myself on the back. Back to the basics. I love it. What's your uh, yeah. etude book of choice there? Guys, I don't know. What should I start with? Rode. I love some Kreutzer, man. Wow. See, and I haven't played Kreutzer since I was like 13. So maybe I should just start at the I basics. Think, I think the don't caprices. Are really good. Yep. Those are hard. Yeah, I know. They're hard, but they're really you don't, good. You don't just pick those I did up. Don't. I did don't, and I came to my lesson. It must have been a hard week because that week while I was practicing, I had closed the book and it was just the international edition. So it's just like this yellow background with yep. the words don't and like this little, you know, mm-hmm. like border. And just I had put an apostrophe between the N and the T. Yep. And my teacher thought that was so funny. Yep. <laughs> I was like, I well, this is how I feel. I, I love the meme that like the violin version is called won't. The cello <laughs> version is called don't. And the viola version is called can't. <laughs> and you're a won't, violist and you still love it. I'm a violist. I thought it was hilarious. That is one of the best That's ones. Right cool. I'll keep you posted on my, my practicing etudes. Kind of going off of Anna's, she's going to get back to the basics. Yeah. My birthday is coming up. Woo-hoo. And I am setting up a goal. Musical goals Ooh, nice. for my for my year. I think I might be old enough to start working on the Brahms Violin Concerto. Ooh. You can take the uh, Boston audition then. <laughs> I know, right? But um, that's great. Jess and I, I have think birthdays a week apart, so we should just make a pact. Jess and I historically have been good at making pacts, not always keeping them. We don't always keep them, but we uh, reference them a lot. 
All right. So there you go. But I think also with the with the practicing, as I've gotten older, it's kind of morphed. And sometimes I actually really look forward to practicing now because it is kind of like what you were saying about like no distractions, you know, trying not to be distracted by things. I sometimes make it that I put my phone, I turn it over, I put it away from me so I can't even look at it. It's my time where I don't feel guilty not looking at that kind of stuff, Mm. which is something that's actually kind of nice. I'm going to work on the drone on whatever. And it gets, I don't know, sometimes very, um, addictive. Yeah. And, and, and I kind of want to say stress relieving, Mm -hmm. which is funny because Mm -hmm. practice can also be very stressful. You know, if you're working on something that you're just not, and you're just having a hard time mastering it or whatever, but in some ways it's, it's kind of a stress relieving because I have started allowing myself to go and back into my practice bubble that I was in, in college, Mm -hmm. not allowing certain distractions to come in. And it's usually only for like an hour and a half. Cause then I need to take a break physically usually, but like, and you know, the world still kept going and that mental space actually has become like Christian said, a little addicting to kind of just, cause it feels much more calm. It's cause we're maturing maybe possibly. Yeah. And I think the more we recognize we're creatures of habit, if you can create an environment that yes you recognize as comfortable, but also productive and kind of stimulating, then you're going to want to go back to that. So once you get back into the mode of what the first signal is turning off the phone, the second signal is closing the door. Third signal is, you know, going to that corner of the room where the music stand is, you know, even the visual cues, a certain Mm. picture on the wall or the mirror you're looking at, like that all adds up. They're all signals. And then you're already a couple steps into the mode of practicing. So I think that's not something to overlook, you know, something to take into consideration. I I am a big fan of not using the metronome on your phone because the metronome on your phone is one click away from Facebook or Instagram and or text messages. Or put your phone on airplane mode. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Because I've had that problem though too. And especially like if I'm practicing Baroque, I have to have the tuning app open because Mm -hmm. gut strings. (laughs) But but yeah, airplane mode has been a savior in those situations. And it's sad that like our lives are ruled by technology, but that's Uh just where we're at right now. And I think more than ever, it's imperative that we get away from it especially in practicing, but just like for our brains on a human level every day, we need to be separate from this lack of face-to-face communication. It's dangerous, Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. I think the scary thing is, especially as a freelancer, like I once missed a really good gig because I didn't check my email for like eight hours. It was literally eight hours and, and it was a last minute thing. And so they had to move on and that made me feel actually ill, like physically ill. Yeah. That you have to check your phone every. Yeah. Well, but also because it was a really good. Well, I will say you, I will say what I did, um, because I was driving myself mad with, um, gig offers from a certain thing that I have right now. I just set it to alert me only if these, this certain email address wrote, and I absolutely recommend that. Mm -hmm. Um, even know that was an option. It is an option. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Filters. I think like if you have, if you're in that kind of situation where you're afraid of missing a gig because you've turned your phone off for an hour, which is crazy, but can happen, unfortunately, set up your alert. Yeah. And I think another thing that can also help you focus on practicing is 
to have such a concrete, clear idea of what it is you want to practice that you don't leave any room for the distraction. I think, you know, sometimes when people are like, I'm just going to play, you know, through this piece or through this etude. Well, it's fine. But what are you working on? Like, what are you concentrating on? What are you listening for? Your brain can wander instantly. But if you fill yourself up every three notes, I'm going to switch from on a cello to over the fingerboard. Or if, you know, I'm going to make sure I... I have continuous vibrato, like something that requires so much concentration. You're training yourself to stay focused for longer periods of time. And then you're not going to be thinking, oh, was that, you know, the chime on my phone? Like, did I get a message or, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, what am I going to cook later? Mm -hmm. No, just really give yourself such concrete little bits of information to think about and concentrate on so that you don't allow yourself to get distracted. That is such a great idea. And even in college, when you sometimes feel overwhelmed by how much work you have to do. You know, how much music you have to learn, gigs you have going on, but you also have to get this ready for your teacher and you also have to do like whatever, or even for auditions, you know, there can be so many excerpts. I have found for myself, it is really helpful for me to make a plan, like a practice plan for the week. And, you know, you have to sometimes adjust that because maybe something took you longer to, to do than you thought or something. But that I found really helpful to maintain a focused mentality because I wasn't getting... I wasn't practicing something and thinking, oh my gosh, I have to hurry up and practice this because I have five other things I have to practice. Mm -hmm. Because that also happens to me a lot is I find I'm distracted thinking about something else I need to practice while I'm practicing, which is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Then you're not getting good practice. Well, and know yourself too, because I personally work better off of a day plan versus a week plan. I get overwhelmed if I look at the whole week and I, in preparing for an audition or what have you, I usually like to hit everything in one day, just like to keep it all. And if you can work Mm -hmm. across the span of the week, cool, but, and maybe you don't have time, like you're saying, Jess, you have to plan out the whole week. But I know for me personally, I have to say today I need to hit these things and that it's always helpful for my brain. I'm slowly Mm -hmm. coming over to the dark side of being a planner and like, (laughs) (laughs) I've probably talked about before these like Maya Briggs tests about like the, the, the last letter is like the P versus J and I'm really so far on the, the free spirit. Just see what happens. Just, just go and, and we'll get there. And growing up, I think some of it also is I had to fill out these like practice charts and there's these like accountant spreadsheets that are, like which half hour increments what did you practice and for how long and and I just I think I you know just had these like allergic reaction to things like that undergrad I was just very much like oh yeah I'm just practicing all night I'm just I'm practicing all, all evening or whatever and you know some of that meant for half an hour I go sit out in the practice lounge and talk to people or whatever and it wasn't like I'm not a proponent of you have to practice six hours a day which I mean, if you can't really get everything accomplished in three, four hours max, you're doing something wrong. But I'm slowly coming over to the dark side of there is a lot of value in planning out what you actually want to accomplish. And one of the big things for me that I think kind of helped me get that way was that I was so much in this, oh, I have all evening to practice and Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be practicing and not really aware of what I'm practicing or what I'm trying to fix. I'm just playing through things from top to bottom, you know? And one, one of the little, a concrete thing that my teacher said to do was just set a timer for how long you really plan to practice your etude or this, this piece. And when the timer goes off, you have to move on. 
And because my problem was, oh, I'll just practice endless, endlessly. I'll just keep, you know, I'll just practice as long as I need to. And I was really just unfocused playing through and not focusing on what was broken. And so what that was one of the little things I learned was actually, you know, decide ahead of time. And when the time goes off, move on. And the thing is, like, you don't learn the lesson the first day or the second day. It takes a couple days to realize this timer is going to go off and I don't have any more time to work on this. And I think it can it can work in the exact opposite. For me, for example, I often move on too quickly and I'll be like, no, I want to practice. So for example, I love setting a three minute timer and then I'll do, I'll switch keys every three minutes or I'll switch, you know, from oct- like, you know, scale to arpeggio or from double stops. Like, I think if I... If I know, okay, I can stay concentrated for three minutes, that's fine. But then after three minutes, you know, my attention starts to wane and then I need something new. So if I say, okay, I've got the three minutes, I stay focused. And then the new task comes, it's a fresh three minutes. That's also good. If you find yourself moving on too quickly or not being able to stay concentrated, try the opposite. Set a timer, a small, you know, short timer. And just stay concentrated for that bit and move on to something contrasting. I think it's different for everyone. Everyone kind of has to find their, you know, what works best for them. But, but that being said, what I'm hearing from Michael and Christian, even though you guys are kind of having opposite approaches to it, is that the main point is you have to be concentrated on what you're doing to accomplish anything. Oh, yeah. You can yes. practice for six hours and actually get nothing done. Oh, yeah. And if you have um, focusing issues, I remember doing this with my uh, the grad quartet that I was in. We would rehearse, you know, three hours every day or whatever. And we found ourselves having issues being distracted during running through something even or just practicing little parts. We committed a whole rehearsal session to stopping and yelling out whatever you were being distracted by. I remember mine was lobster. I think like if you even, I was just like lobster, that's what came to my brain. I'm not thinking about Mozart. I'm sorry, but that's what your brain does. You know, it, it it's completely distracting yeah. you. I don't know. And everyone's different, but I have a very distracted brain. As soon as I start practicing, I think about everything else I need to be accomplishing. Uh, so now I keep a notepad by my stand. And if I think of something dire, I write it down. So I'll do it later and I won't let it leave my brain. But I think yeah. it's important to take a practice session with yourself and be like, how am I getting distracted? And really keep track of what thoughts are coming to your mind. And it, I think once you acknowledge that you're mm-hmm. distracted and in what ways your brain does that to you, once you're aware of it, it will happen less because you're conscious mm-hmm. of it. I agree. Okay. Bye. One practicing gem that I heard recently was to practice the extraordinary and not the ordinary. Quite often in a practice room, we're practicing only to the degree of the room. It's not like a concert hall and it's not like we're playing in a recital. So of course, we're not as extroverted, we're not as focused, we're not as intense and extreme in our dynamics and expression and all of these things. But that's also because we don't always know the limits. We don't always know the extraordinary. Mm. And so one thing to really focus on in practicing is to make sure you're using the whole bow or that you're playing super close to the bridge or really far away from the fingerboard. Like if you can really practice testing out the extremes and practicing them in a practice room, you'll be able to use them in a concert hall. And I know it's just another way to say, you know, you have to practice 150% in a practice room to get hundred percent on stage, but it's not only about accuracy. It's about what you're creating how many times do we really practice triple fortissimo in a practice room? 
Probably not that often. Same way as how many times do we practice triple piano? Also not that often, but we need to. They're in our repertoire. We need to be able to draw them instantly. And so that's why I was saying, you know, earlier, if you're going to do three notes, triple fortissimo mm-hmm. at the bridge, and then the next eighth note in the scale has to be triple piano over the fingerboard. Practice having these extremes at your command. Be an extraordinary player, not just an ordinary player. Yeah, if you play saxophone, don't listen to that. Ha-ha. Nobody wants to hear triple fortissimo from a saxophone player next door. <laughs> Sorry, I'm losing yeah. all my saxophone contingency. Ah. I, I was going to say, Andrew Somerville has been listening to our um, podcasts and sending Anna and I notes on that, and he's going to take great notes. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of different categories of practicing, and one of the things that reminded me of was that there is a lot of artistic practicing that needs to happen also that practicing just in your practice room is great for really fixing the scientific elements that are like, this is, this is broken and it's broken because of this, but there's a lot of, you need, sometimes you need to get out of your practice room. And if you can go to the concert hall and be an artist and practice the extraordinary things and practice the really musical things and enjoy Practicing, but there's also not, that's not the same as performance practice, I think. Sometimes I think we get into performance practice, and that just means practicing from top to bottom, and then like, hey, I sound great, I'm going home. (laughs) And that's not really fixing things that are broken. You kind of have to split your time, right? So you're fixing things that are broken in your practice room, and then I've learned the most by having several performances of a chamber piece or even a solo piece, like that's how we grow as musicians, right? Into our musicality. We, we can practice all these fundamentals in the practice room, but the more and more we're able to perform the same piece, not even from top to bottom, but like a movement of something in front of several people getting outside of like your studio class or whatever has been the part that I've been focused on the last couple of years. And now I need to go back to some fundamental rehearsing (laughs) because it's like a cycle. I think you cycle through things where you have periods of Mm -hmm. only performing. That's great. It works on a certain skill set that you absolutely require to be a performer as a, you know, for a living, um, as a profession is what I think I was trying to say, but then you have to keep up those fundamentals too. Like they go hand in hand, right? Something I've been thinking about recently or even kind of wondering a question I've been asking myself is, well, it stems out of this belief that when people don't take risks, it's because they're actually afraid of failure. And so if people avoid practicing, if they don't want to really risk practicing three to four to five hours a day and taking these auditions, is it because they are subconsciously afraid of failure? Because, you know, the careers we've chosen, you know, going to a music school, undergrad plus grad school, maybe even a postgrad, that could be six to eight years that you're in school practicing. That's a long-term investment. That's long-term failure in a way, you know, that you might subconsciously be afraid of. No, really, if you know you're practicing and thinking like, okay, I I just, I'm, I'm wondering like what, what could keep us from practicing? Is that actually fear of maybe not winning a job or not winning a competition or not being successful. Unfortunately, I think a lot of musicians grow up with the question from other people, are you really going to do that from a, for a living? Can mm-hmm. you make a living from that? And I think that does, you know, stick with us at least subconsciously. So I don't know what, what do you guys think about that? Because if the result of practicing 
is supposed to equal improving or getting better or succeeding. Like when we hate practicing or avoid practicing, does that mean we hate improving or we're afraid of improving? I think it varies throughout your life, right? So I, for me, I don't know about for you guys, but in undergrad, I practiced willingly and with the expectation that I would be able to get a job someday. And that drove me, I think, to practice, to compete, to do all of the things that we do in undergrad. And then getting out of school, out of after grad school, I'd say, you the the real world starts to hit you and you're like, oh. And I absolutely think that my lack of practicing after school was for fear of failure. I like will admit that I'm a person that is driven by fear of failure. Absolutely. And I think that even in practicing for auditions, there's always an element for me of like self-sabotage. <laughs> um, I eventually get to the place where I've practiced, but then I'll let some excuse take over for what happened during the audition or why I didn't record for that piece or this competition or this festival. That's happened to me several times over the year, the last few years, and I'm not proud of it, but I'm aware of it now. And I think it's absolutely relevant to our growth as musicians. Yeah, I, I definitely think things change when I was in school. You know, back then practicing meant you get you get better and you get a you can work on a more difficult piece and you can finally play this great concerto that you've always dreamed of playing. And that was that was I didn't really have a problem with that. I think things really changed when I started taking auditions and practicing then meant I'm putting in this work with the expectation that I'm going to win and my life is going to change and I'm going to get this new job or whatever. When sort of the competition entered into it, things really changed and sort of the mental aspect of it really got more complicated because if I really gave my everything and practiced as absolutely as hard as I could and if I didn't win the audition, somehow that would mean in my head that I wasn't good enough. That was as far as I could go on the violin kind of the fear that crept in was, or the sort of coping mechanism that creeps in, I think, is this, well, maybe I just won't practice 100% so that if I don't win the audition, then I can say, well, you know, I didn't practice as hard as I could have. I could have practiced more, but I was just so busy. And so I sort of save myself from thinking that I, I'm a failure if I lose an audition. You are not alone. I think a lot of people do that. <laughs> it's just, it's such a tricky thing because it really is a commitment. It's a time commitment. I actually think what we do is it's a lifestyle choice as well, uh, much more than many other professions because mm -hmm. it's not like we just picked this up a couple of years ago. You know, we've all been doing it a long time. Yeah. There's a lot more at stake. They like, this is everything I've been working on since I was four years old. Yes. And there are standards of success set by our industry. And then there are standards of success set by society at large that we're constantly, or at least I am, I am definitely always comparing myself to things, you know, like whether it be mm -hmm. milestone, like big life milestones or whatever that my friends who are not musicians oh, yeah. do. <laughs> and here I am just trying to, you know, make it through the day. And it, it's funny because those things really can't compare, actually. And as musicians, I think we're always, you know, if we're going to be very idealistic about it, part of the thing I think that actually draws a lot of us to it is that you can never be done with this craft. Mm -hmm. You can constantly improve. Wasn't it Pablo Casals who said, I think he was in his, he was in his nineties and somebody asked him, you know, why he still practices. And he said, well, I think I'm finally starting to get it. 
you know, and here he was this famous, famous musician. And, and, and I think we're lifelong learners as musicians. And, uh, I think we're all, we have all have some competitiveness in us by nature to do this type of a job. And we are probably more competitive with ourselves at times than we are with other people. And so I think that's also the frustration can come in the self-sabotage or the, you know, the subconscious thing of like, Oh, well, I'm just not going to give it my 100% because I don't know if I can get this job or I don't know if I can do this anyway. And then you have that little excuse because it's really hard to say, Mm -hmm. Oh, I just didn't get it. Cause you know, I didn't play well today or maybe I did play well. And I think I played well, but it just wasn't what they're looking for or whatever. But that's really difficult to say because there is definitely also a lack of logic in things in this world in terms of competition and auditions. Like it just doesn't always make sense. And that's sometimes really hard to, yeah. to take. Well, going along with Jessica's, you know, Casal's quote, I love the clip of Nadia Solera Sonnenberg on the late show with Jimmy Carson, I believe. Um, when she plays like a brilliant third movement of a middle skin, the middle concerto. And then during the interview, he asks her, have you reached your peak yet? When do you reach? Uh, um, that, that sounds like another uh, Naive question, but I... You mean, I mean as far as playing the violin? As far as technique? <laughs> or whatever else you reach your peak in, Nadja. No, I, I, I meant it to, like a ball player or a tennis player, you know, can, can peak at 25, 26 or something like that. I'm getting to the point now where there, there are so many things about playing the violin. It's very intricate mm-hmm. that I, I'm starting to understand and it excites me. I, a violin is a great instrument. You can start at a five and you stop when you, when you die. You know, there's right. no, uh, you have to retire now. We're lifelong learners and there's always so much to figure out. And I think that's super cool for someone who's so great to have that sort of mindset that sort of idea and philosophy about playing and practicing and learning. And I think that's true. Let's just not forget that we're on this lifelong journey with the instrument and the music. And there are a million ways to play. The physics remain the same. And the best we can do is just figure it out for ourselves and find out how we are going to play the instruments. Which takes practice because it does work slightly differently for everybody. Exactly. So part of the practicing process is figuring that stuff out. For ourselves, which is, you know, can be frustrating and feel like you're not getting anywhere, but you're actually learning what does or does not work for you. I think we talk a lot about there are everybody has different strengths and weaknesses. You know, some people are great sight readers or some people have a great sound. But I think just one of the best qualities you can develop is becoming a better practicer, regardless of if you have a great teacher or a great school or all this stuff. One of the best things you can do is really work on becoming a better practicer. And I think that's one of the biggest changes in my you know, musical development was realizing that I needed to be better at practicing. And you will constantly be evolving and be gracious to yourself. You know, I'm able to prepare things much more quickly than ever before now, but that doesn't keep my chops up necessarily now. So like you will constantly be hitting different roadblocks. So don't ever think you're going to master it as these quotes that we mentioned before, you know, you're not going to get to a place where it's smooth sailing from here. You're going to continuously learn as your life adapts and changes. You will also adapt and change in your practicing. Good times. It's a special, special relationship. About that, I think it's time to go practice. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I gotta got practice some chike. Got some scales calling me. Oh, yeah. All right, guys. 
We will see you on the next recording. I've been Michael Giblin. I'm Anna Luce. I'm Jessica Wiersma. And I'm Christian Marshall. <laughs> that one was really deflated at the end. Well, that is our show, folks. Again, perservice.co slash 15 is where you'll find the links to the articles and videos that we mentioned. And you can keep up with us during the week on Instagram. We are at perservicepodcast. This is one of our primary forms of communication. So if you have a question you'd like to ask us or just send us a message, we'd honestly love to hear from you. And if you've been enjoying the show, please, please just take a minute and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps other musicians find our show. And we'd like to thank Kathleen Lavengood for becoming our newest patron. Kathleen, thank you so much for becoming a supporter of the show. You just make it possible for us to do what we love. And if you'd like to become a patron and get more great content from us, head over to patreon.com and search for Per Service Podcast or you can visit our show notes page again, which is at perservice.co slash 15. Well, folks, I leave you with this quote about practicing. There comes a moment in every life when the universe presents you with an opportunity to rise to your potential, an open door that only requires the heart to walk through, seize it, and hang on. The choice is never simple. It's never easy, and it's not supposed to be. But those who travel this path have always looked back and realized that the test was always about the heart. The rest is just practice. That's from Jamie Buckley's Prelude to a Hero. Well, it was great talking with you. We'll see you again in two weeks. Until then, be well and practice well.